So I praise, uh, I praise God for stories like that and um, for Brittany and Jesse and for the opportunity to walk alongside of them. Uh, it's an incredible, incredible thing. And, and oftentimes in ministry, um, it can be really difficult uh, because you see um, different stories of people and you invest in lots of different things. But ministry is just one of those things where oftentimes people um, don't necessarily always do what the scriptures would encourage them to do. And it can be kind of frustrating sometimes as, as believers, um, you know, as you instruct and you guide and you care for. And, and so like, I think oftentimes in ministry as you get discouraged and you kind of go, man, like, wow, what am I doing? And am I doing something wrong? Um, it is often encouraging to just to be reminded of faithfulness and what that looks like. And I tell people all the time, I mow my own grass uh, because I want to be able to see a job done at the end of a week. Because uh, oftentimes in ministry, you just don't see that. And so we just, we're so thankful for the Lord and, and what he's doing. Um, in, in their lives, and thank you guys for, for sharing that. Um, if you've got your Bibles, encouraged to turn with us to uh, Romans chapter 4. Uh, we're going to continue our series uh, called Romans, Revealing the Righteousness of God. And uh, if you're kind of new to church or, or maybe you don't have a Bible, hey, we'd love to bless you with a Bible on either of our campuses at the end of the day. Uh, and if you've got your Bible, uh, you may be wondering, like, okay, but I don't know where Romans is. Well, it's in the New Testament, and the New Testament uh, is, is the second section of your Bible, but the last third to your Bible. And uh, if you turn to the New Testament, you've got the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And uh, then after the Gospels, you've got Acts, which is the story of the church. And then you've got this letter that Paul writes to the church of Rome, which is called Romans. And so if you want to go ahead and turn there, we're going to be in chapter 4, which is the large numeral. And then after that, you've got a bunch of small numerals. Uh, but hey, real quick, uh, let's pray together as we uh, kind of dive into our text today. And uh, we want to just welcome those that are joining us in Edgewood and online as well. And so, hey, let's pray together. Father in heaven, we love you and we thank you for the privilege of being here today. Pray, God, that you would speak to our hearts, Lord, that you would illuminate um, our minds. God, would you help us to see what your word says and how we should apply it to our lives. Pray, Father, that you would help us to live in fruitful ways, that, Lord, that our hearts may be in tune and aligned with you. I pray, God, that you would bring about fruitfulness in our lives, that, Lord, that you would produce in us your righteousness, and that, Father, our lives would be about you and about what you've called us to. Uh, pray, Lord, that you would remind us that we're not working our way to you, but, Lord, you have worked your way to us through your Son, Jesus Christ. We love you, uh, we thank you, and uh, we pray that our hearts are encouraged this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So today as we... Uh, we're about to dive into Romans 4. I uh, want to just, uh, before we dive in, just want to encourage you that if, hey, if you're not in group, uh, and we, obviously they mentioned group link, but one of the things that you might have mentioned in, in there, we, we actually put on the screen one thing and then said another. I don't know if y'all noticed that, but group link today is happening at two o'clock on the Edgewood campus. And if you're already a part of groups, today at one o'clock, uh, we're going to be praying with Hope, one of our strategic partners, uh, about some of the things they're going on. So there's prayer happening on our campus at 1 uh, with Hope Pregnancy Resource Center. And at 2 o'clock, there's group link on the Edgewood campus. So if you show up here, we're going to point you down the road like nine miles and, and don't want that to happen. So uh, hopefully we'll see some of you guys in Edgewood. Um, in Romans chapter 4, uh, if you've got your Bibles, we're going to hop in there. Uh, it begins in verse 1 and it just says this, What then shall we say? 
uh, was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh. For if Abraham was justified by works, he is something to boast about, but not before God. Now, what Paul is doing here is this. He's building a case, and in the way he's built a case, he started in Romans chapter 1, and he goes, hey, Rome, I just want to know, who, you know that you, I want you to know that I am not ashamed of the gospel, that I'm not ashamed of its working or its power in my life, and that the gospel goes forth to the Jew and the Gentile alike. Now, the Jewish audience would have been a little bit confused by that because they looked down on the Gentile uh, to a large degree. So Paul begins there the basis of their mind, and he goes, hey, the Gentile is indeed corrupt. And in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32, he just says, hey, um, God has given the, uh, the Gentile over to themselves, that the wrath of God is being revealed against the unrighteousness. But then he moves from that thought to the thought of the Jew. And he goes, hey, listen, I know that the Jew thinks that, they, that you guys are righteous, but he goes, you just need to know that you guys are equally as sinful as the people you look down on, which is the, the Gentiles. He moves from that thought to the idea of Romans chapter 3, and he just goes, hey, listen, and I want you to know that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In Romans 3 verse 10, he says, there is not one that is righteous, not even one. And as he moves out of those thoughts, the thought of like, hey, everybody on planet earth is morally corrupt, that we're all bankrupt. Everybody say bankrupt. When you think about us being bankrupt, he goes, you've got this dilemma and the dilemma is one in which we have to wrestle with, which is how does someone who's bankrupt live fully for a God who wants to deposit something into our lives, even though we're empty? And he goes, but because we're all empty, he goes, we have to figure out how it is we get to right standing with God. And he goes, and I think there's a lot of thought process around that. There's a lot of us that we think we work our way to God, that we try to do good works and we try to keep the law and uh, we try to live by a moral code. We try to do more right than wrong. And Paul is going to put that to rest in Romans chapter four. What he's gonna basically do is he's going to say, hey, it's not by your good works. Um, it's not by the law that you're justified or made right before God. And he goes, and it's also not going to be by circumcision. So he goes, it's not going to be by the things that you think it is. And he's going to make a case for how it is that you and I, who are bankrupt, can actually be in right standing with God. How does that happen for a person? And the way that he does this, he, he starts with a, a throwback to the past. Basically, he goes back to Abraham, which is a forefather in what he says in verse 1 of the Jewish people. Now, think about this. Yesterday was 9-11, and many of us on uh, yesterday celebrated and remembered um, all that our nation has gone through. In some ways, we celebrate the ways that we were unified 20 years ago. Uh, we can remember church houses in many ways being full that, that next weekend and uh, the different ways that people committed themselves to prayer. And, and it seemed like it was kind of a, in some ways, a reset for our nation. And though the reset, as we know, it didn't last incredibly long, um, it, it seemed to be kind of a, an opportunity to literally for our nation even to go back to ground zero. Well, that's what Paul is doing. He's going back to ground zero here. He's going to the forefather Abraham. Just as if you and I want to go back as a nation to ground zero, we would go back to the Jeffersons, to the Lincolns, to the Washingtons, wouldn't we? So Paul does, he makes the case of our spiritual uh, bankruptcy to how we're going to have a relationship with God. And he says, hey, Let's talk about Abraham, our forefather. 
And then it says, if he was justified by works, which means if, if he was saved by what he did, the good things Abraham did, then he would have something to boast about, wouldn't he? Abraham could uh, boast, he could put out his chest, he could in pride say, hey, look who I am. I'm Abraham, the father of the nation of Israel, called out of Ur of the Chaldeans, look who I am. But he says, even if he'd have something to boast about, it wouldn't be before who? God. He said it wouldn't be before God. And the reason why is because you and I can look at our lives and we could say, you know what, I've been a pretty good person. Um, I, I've, I'm, morally, I've been pretty good. I haven't done a, a ton of evil things. Certainly, I've never murdered anybody. Um, gotten close in my mind, but uh, I've, I'm pretty, a pretty decent guy. Oh, and you might even say that about yourself as a lady. And you might look at the moral code, the fabric of your life, and you might say, hey, I've, I've done some pretty good things. And not only that, I've, I've been to church, I've been to mass, I, I've taken a part of a lot of communion services, I've been a part of baptism, not only uh, later as an adult, but I can remember even as an infant being a part of that. I can remember growing up in the church and my dad being a deacon. And we could just compile this long list of things. And he goes, if anybody could compile a long list of things, you would look at Abraham. He could brag about his, about his lineage and about who he is and about what God was doing in his life. But he says, but not before God. Why? Because as you and I compare ourselves to each other, we oftentimes look, look pretty decent, right? If we look at, we, we look at uh, some of the, the people that we've seen in our culture, uh, we could go, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm not that bad. But he says, but not before God. When you as someone who is spiritually bankrupt, compares yourself to God, who is infinite in His glory, infinite in His holiness, infinite in His power, infinite in His justice, that there is no bankrupt, uh, bankruptcy found in Him. He goes, you and I don't measure up. We're all guilty. And that's what the point he's making. So then he builds on to that verse 3. For what does the scripture say? And then he goes back to the forefather, Abraham, and he quotes him in Genesis chapter 15. He quotes this, this text, and this is what he says. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, if you want to see this text, uh, I'm going to put it for you up on the screen. In Genesis chapter 15, Abraham, who's been called out of Ur of the Chaldeans in Genesis chapter 12, God says, I'm going to make you into a great nation and you're going to be the father of the nation. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you great. Uh, I'm going to curse those who curse you and bless those who bless you. So I'm going to protect you. I'm going to give you people. I'm going to give you uh, everything you need, land, descendants. You're going to be great. Your name is going to be great. Well, if you can think about Abraham, he's contemplating this because him and his wife, Sarah, have no children. Um, they're growing older in years, and they're wondering how it is that we're going to have children. So God and Abraham are having this conversation, Genesis chapter 15, and, and Abraham presents the case. I get it. Maybe you're going to bless us, and you're going to bless the nations through us, through Eleazar, my servant. And this is what God says in Genesis chapter 15, beginning in verse 4. He says, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, meaning Abraham. And this is what God says, This man shall not be your heir. It's not going to be Azar. He says, your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and he said, Abraham, look towards heaven. And if you can imagine being under the desert sky, he looks up and he counts the stars. He says, the number of stars, if you are able to, to number them, then he said, so shall your offspring be. In verse six, this is the key. And he 
believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Now, this is the huge key here. In this particular instance, Abraham believed that God was going to come to pass in this situation. And in that moment, it was counted. It was deposited in his life as righteousness. A simple childlike faith that Abraham, though old in years, was going to have a son. And that in that lineage, through his son, eventually Isaac, the son of laughter, that all the nations would be blessed. And it was in that moment that he believed God and God imputed or counted to him as righteousness. That idea of counted is the word that you see in Romans chapter 4, verse 3. Let's look at it one more time so we would see it in verse 3. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So when you see that word counted, it's the uh, word in the Greek, logizomai, uh, which li- literally just means to credit or deposit. So think about it like this. You send a kid to college. Um, some of you parents have done that in recent years. And uh, they get a few weeks in and they're like, hey, I, like, I need some money. Um, well, in this day and time, what you do is you go onto your online banking and what do you do? You move it from one account to the other. Any parents in here, you've ever had to make a deposit on behalf of one of your kids? Yeah, uh, back in the day, you would take a check and you'd move it over. Today, it's just a quick transaction. ACH, one count to another. And what you do is, is you make a deposit. It's a transaction. Account is bankrupt or near zero over here. You move $200 so that your kids can go get a lunch and a Snickers. Got it? If you don't have a transfer, you have a potential bankruptcy. That is the word here in the Greek. And what Paul is saying is that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. It was a means of grace. God in his righteousness gives Abraham something he doesn't deserve. He continues this thought in verse 4. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. For instance, he goes, you've got a choice. If you want to work your way to God, he goes, it's not going to be considered as a gift, is it? It's going to be considered a due. For instance, let's say that you and I are eating um, at a, a local restaurant this afternoon and uh, you're, you're, you're ringing up a tab for you and your family of four. And as you're, as you're getting ready to go, the, the, the waitress brings you a receipt and, and then she just has the words written on it in red, paid. And you're going, what? I'm like, hold on, I'm confused. And she said, it's been paid. It's been taken care of. And you think about that for just a second. What you did is you got a deposit. And then you look around and you go, well, who was it? And you don't know who it was. And, and you know you haven't done anything uh, in, in, in any particular way to impress somebody. But there was somebody there in their good favor that they decided to credit you your meal. That's what he's talking about here. He goes, if you want to work to God, it's your due. It's your payment. But if you realize that it's by his grace and his benevolence and his kindness that he would count it to right, as righteousness to Abraham and desire to count it as righteousness to you, and then he goes, you need to know that your receipt could be paid in full as a gift. And you got to decide, do you want a due in which you pay for or do you want a gift in which someone pays for you? Because the reality is in our life, every single one of us are, are ringing up a tab or a receipt of sinful, immoral things. 
in our heart, in our mind, with our tongue. The reality is that we are all corrupt and we all, in, in many ways, are not only morally bankrupt, but spiritually, in many ways, we could say we have a debt against God. And what Paul is saying is, is you and I either try to work that debt off or we hope that there's a gift that could be paid in full. And he says, and you have to decide which path you desire to take. He goes on and he says this in verse 5. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. He uses this word counted again. Matter of fact, you'll see it in verse 3, 4, 5, 6, 8, twice in 9 and 11. Eight times in 12 verses, he uses this word counted, which literally means deposit, transaction, or a really fancy word, imputed. And what he's saying is this in verse 5, for the guy who doesn't work means you do nothing to pay off your receipt, but you simply believe in God who justifies the ungodly. His faith is counted as righteousness. So he goes, what pays off the the receipt or the tab that you're running up has nothing to do with your works. Has nothing to do with how many communions you take or how much money you give to the church or whether you're a member or not a member. It has nothing to do with any of those things. The only reason that God's righteousness is credited to us is because it's a gift from God. That's why Paul says it this way in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9 to the church in Ephesus. He says, For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this is not of your, what? Own doing. Say with me real quickly this next part. It is the gifts of God. Salvation is a gift of God. It's not about your own doing. He goes on in verse 9, he says, It's not a result of your works, so that no one may boast. So here's what he's done. He goes, Abraham could have puffed out his chest. He's the father of the nation of Israel. But yet it was credited to him, a deposit of God's faithfulness and kindness as righteousness, not on the merit of what he had done, but because he believed in God. He says it's similar for us. It is by grace that we're saved. It is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, that we would have merit and standing before God, not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus has done for us. Paul is just giving us a baseline, helping us realize that it's not about us being religious or conforming uh, in some moral code, but it is simply about us understanding the free gift of God given to us through his son, Jesus Christ, a belief in our heart, a confession with our mouth that a person could be made right before him. The idea of imputation, or every time that you see the word counted here, is the idea that Paul gives to the church of Thessalonica in 2 Thessalonians chapter 5. It, It simply is this idea that we as sinners who are morally bankrupt, Jesus who's holy and perfect and pure, Jesus dies on the cross. He takes our bankruptcy and places it on himself. Really, God the Father places it on his son. And then God takes his righteousness, the one who's never sinned, never thought, said, or did anything that broke God's moral, civil, or ceremonial ceremonial law, any of those things, and he takes his righteousness, he places it on us, the sinner. That's counted. It's a deposit. That's how a person comes to know God, a deposit of righteousness that covers our unrighteousness. Let me kind of share a personal story with you. Um, 
Many years ago, I was about 14, uh, we had just moved to Wills Point. Uh, we had gone through the fall, uh, which was the first football season. It was the uh, fall of, I think, 95, if I remember. Um, I was 14. Uh, after the football season, we went back to where I grew up, which was a place in central Texas called Brownwood. Uh, we went there. My grandmother still lived there, had cousins and aunts and uncles and all these different people there. And so we went for a weekend, and uh, it was a chance for me in central Texas to go deer hunting. I thought, hey, let's, I mean, I'm going to go sit in a deer stand. I was 14. I did that. Went to my friend's house I grew up with, which was kind of notorious for getting me in trouble over the years. So I think one of the great reasons to move to Will's Point was but that my parents knew that they weren't going to have me setting some fire ablaze with this young man, right? Nonetheless, and, and I would say their foolishness, they let me go to his house uh, on a, that trip. I go deer hunting that night. Um, Hadn't really communicated a whole lot with them. We didn't have cell phones back in the day. And so, I mean, it, it was kind of one of those deals where like, hey, it was good to kind of catch up. Uh, we did deer hunt. Don't get anything on that particular Friday evening. But he goes, hey, why don't, you, why don't you hop in the truck? He's got his girlfriend there. He's got another buddy. He's got his girlfriend. Them four are in the front of this little cab truck. I'm just, uh, you know, probably uh, living it up. And they put two of us in the back. And, and when they do that, they take a 22 um, and they throw it in our hands, and we're going down a country road. We do happen to have a spotlight as well. And if you realize what we're doing, you would realize, like, that is unwise. So everybody say unwise. unwise. Hey, listen, I'm kind of caught up in the middle of this. I really am a good kid. <laughs> we're driving down this road, spotlight 22, and guess what? The lights come on. I'm not talking about football lights. I'm talking about the red, white, and blue ones. Y'all know what's, you know, y'all ever had one of those? Okay, it's like a traffic ticket. Your heart kind of pumping, pounding. Listen, magnified by about 100. Y'all understand, there's some of you in the room that you understand this. You get this uh, for different reasons. Uh, but the reality is, is here it is, I am busted. All I hear is throw the guns. So, I mean, we're throwing guns in ditches. Um, innocent. Brandon, I get it. You're going, how in the world? Innocent Brandon is now in the crosshairs. I'm a criminal. Hey, uh, they, they take us. Uh, by God's grace, they didn't arrange us. I could honestly say I've never been arrested. But um, we make phone call to mom and dad. Um, dad comes and gets me right away. Um, Saturday morning, next morning, I'm in front of the Brown County judge. Dad's right there next to me, and uh, we're all separate. The, I, I look back, and the saving grace is my buddy, who is in Brownwood, the only thing we have going for him is his dad is the sheriff. <laughs> and I'm thinking, maybe we're going to slide by on this one. So I'm in front of the judge. Listen, I'm scared. I'm 14. I'm immature. I have no idea. I've never been in, in trouble with the law. And here it is. I'm thinking in my mind, they're going to lock us up and throw away the keys. And this is a bad deal. And so here it is. I'm in front of the judge. Um, they have me. They have evidence. Uh, they, they got every single one of us. We're pegged. We're nailed. We, we got no out. We got no excuses. We have a debt. I have a receipt of reasons that now we as kids, even though 14 juveniles could easily be in major, major trouble. And the judge lets me off very lightly. Get a handful of hours of community service, nothing on my record. You wouldn't know about it unless I told you. It was grace. It was mercy. 
My receipt was long. I could have been punished harshly. But in mercy, this judge and his kindness, not because he owed me anything, not because I had done anything, but because in his kind mercy, he let me off the hook. That is what Paul is talking about. I didn't even get before that judge and say, hey, listen, judge, let me just tell you about my record. Let me tell you, I mean, I, I mean I've, I've done nothing wrong. And hey, let me tell you how good I am. I mean, I go to church and I'm involved in the youth group. And I mean, hey, let me just tell you about how much I know about my Bible, which wasn't a whole lot. But I, I mean, I could have tried, to, tried that route, right? But listen, I didn't. And you know what made my dad most angry about all this situation? It wasn't the phone call that he received. But when we walked out of that judge on a Saturday morning, he goes, I can't believe you. And I'm like, what? Like, what? Like, Dad, like, we're, we're off the hook. He's like, no, I don't think you understand. And I'm like, I, I, I mean, what's there not to understand? I did a really stupid, foolish thing. Everybody understands that. But by God's grace, and I get that too, I'm off. And he goes, no, 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 I don't understand your response. He goes, if it would have been me, he goes, I'd have dropped down to my knees. And he goes, and I would have begged. And I would have pleaded for mercy. But he goes, but you and your arrogance? He goes, you don't get it. You don't understand. And I've never forgot that. I've never forgot what mercy really looks like and what it means. And I also never forget how my dad taught me what mercy really looks like, which is one of the reasons, if I can just be quite frank with you, one of the reasons that I am so compelled for, for us as believers in Christ to live a life worthy of the man in which we've been called. Because if you've ever stood before a judge and you've ever understood what mercy looks like just in a physical way on this life, what does it look like when every knee would bow and every tongue would confess and before heaven and earth and that you would understand mercy? That is what Paul is saying. He goes, and it's not because I did something. It was because of God's grace. That's what salvation is. And so he gives Abraham as an example. But he didn't stop there. He goes a, a leg further and look at verse six. He goes, just as David, and he, he thinks about the king of Israel, the young shepherd that eventually became king. He goes, just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one who whom God counts as righteousness apart from works. And what Paul does is he doesn't just go back to the forefather Abraham, but he also goes to the most prolific author of our Old Testament, which is David, who has more writing than anybody else. And he goes, think about him. And he quotes then what David said in Psalm 32. This is what he says. Blessed are those, in verse 7, whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered, blotted out, a deposit that no longer they exist. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. The idea here is he goes, blessed is the man who his record is expunged. Blessed is the man who you cannot pull up a receipt on him. You cannot go to his record. You can't find it. It doesn't exist. Blessed is that man. And he quotes Psalm 32, which David writes because of his incidents with Bathsheba, her husband Uriah the Hittite, and the man that he not only lied about, uh, but tried to dupe, and then eventually uh, moved him to the front line and had him killed. There's two classic texts, Psalm 32 and Psalm 51, that David writes about his sin. And in this particular uh, case, Paul grabs it and he goes, blessed is the man whose lawless deeds are forgiven. Let me show it to you, Psalm 32, 1 and 2. 
Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. A blessing from God. The wicked don't get punished. There's a deposit to their account. Not because of the merit of what they've done, but because of God's great grace. And then he comes back to Abraham and he comes back to this thought process. And the question that you have to ask yourself is, how did Abraham come to faith in God? We know it was by his faith, it was credited to him a deposit of righteousness. So Paul builds on that. He goes, we've gone to the forefather. We've seen what David had to say about it. But look at this in verse 9. He says, is the blessing then only for the circumcised? Circumcision is the foreskin of a man being snipped. Um, and he goes, or is it also for the uncircumcised? He's making the question, is this for the Jew who's been circumcised on the eighth day or other people, can they take advantage of this kind of grace? Is this for everyone or is this only for the Jew? Paul's already made it clear that it's for the Jew and the Gentile, but he's building the case for it. And here's how. For if we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness, how then was it counted? So if it was by faith that Abraham came to believe in God, it was by faith that uh, David was forgiven, then how do we come to God? We would say by faith. Everyone say by faith. Okay, so if it's by faith, then you got to ask the question. And he asked the question in verse 10. Was it before that he received faith or after he had been circumcised that he received faith? That's what he's asking. He goes, was it something that he did or was it something that was done for him? Which, when did it happen? And then he says this, it was not after, but before he was circumcised. In verse 11, he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. Genesis chapter 15, he says, look to the heavens, count the stars in the sky. He goes, that's what your, your descendants are going to look like by faith. Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. Chapter 17, 14 years later, he was circumcised. When does a person get baptized? Before or after? After what? After a great deposit of God's graciousness in their life. We don't get baptized so we can go to God and say, you know what, I was baptized. Hey, you know what, I went to communion. Hey, I, you know what? I, I, I've never been arrested. Hey, look how great I am. Look how good of a husband. We don't go to him with the list of things that we've done. We go to him saying, I am spiritually bankrupt. You made a deposit of your righteousness on my account. And then we follow in believer's baptism to let the whole world know of the circumcision of our heart. That's what Paul is saying to the church of Rome. He goes, you, you need to understand. Abraham received God's grace by his faith. He believed. Same for David, same for me, Paul. Same for the disciples, all the apostles, because we believed. And then you see his circumcision happen after the fact. So it's not about external works. It's about God's grace through faith. That happens first. Which then he goes on in the latter part of verse 11. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe. You could circle that if you have your Bibles. The father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that the righteousness would be counted them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who've also walked in the footsteps of the faith that our father, our, our father, our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Here's what he says. If it would have been the reverse, if, if, 
if Abraham would have been circumcised as a means of works to God, then he goes, it would be backwards. And it wouldn't allow everyone to come to faith in Christ. He goes, the circumcised and the uncircumcised can come to faith this way. He goes, the Jews and the Gentiles, the slaves and the free, the male and the female, everyone can come to Christ. And he goes, and the reason why is because of the pattern of God. It's not about what you've done. It's about what he's done for you. And because of that, you and I are free to have his righteousness counted and deposited into our account. In essence, you and I are sinners. We have a long receipt and Jesus Christ wrote the check. And because that, he wrote the check and it's been deposited in many of our accounts, we can now have a relationship with God and it's not based on what we have done and praise the Lord. It's not based on what we haven't done. But it's by his grace that a person comes to know him. And Paul says, and that gift is available to everyone, whether you've been circumcised or uncircumcised. He says, it's available to all who would believe, all who would confess with their heart or confess with their mouth, believe in their heart that he is Lord. It's a gift available to all. And that's really good news because this is the great exchange is the gift of being counted righteous even though we are unrighteous. Now, the thing about it as I close is I think about how we as believers should live if we have indeed been credited to our bankrupt account a measure of righteousness. I would think that God would want all of us, right? I do. I struggle to, to see how God would write a check and say paid in full. And then we would say, but I'm only going to give you a partial of my life back to you. That doesn't seem a rendering of service to a king. It just doesn't. It doesn't seem consistent with the New Testament when we think about an ambassador, when we think about his prized possession, when we think about sons and daughters. I don't see the inconsistencies that oftentimes transpire within the hearts of a believer, in the minds of a believer, or the justification of a believer. I think God wants all of us. And I want to encourage you that God wants all of you. It reminds me of a story that I recently read. It's from Johnny Erickson Tata. I want to put a picture up from, from uh, just her. She has Johnny and friends. I'm sure many of you have heard about that over the decades. And uh, Johnny Erickson Tata actually became a paraplegic around the age of 17. It has an incredible story. It's so faithful. Matter of fact, oftentimes uh, there are a lot of people who come up to her and say, hey, listen, I just want to pray over you and I want to put my hands and pray for your healing. And, and her response every time is, hey, I would love for you to pray for my physical healing. But before you pray for my physical healing, hey, could you just pray for a handful of other things first? And she says, I always ask them to pray just for my spiritual brokenness and for the ways that pride and arrogance and bitterness reign in my heart. And she says, would, would you ask God to heal that first? Well, one of the questions that oftentimes are asked, or maybe if you could imagine her being on the stage in front of a thousand people, one of the questions that people will say is, hey, what do you think the very first thing you'll do when you get to heaven? Because if you think about the promises of heaven, you'd be free of a wheelchair, be free of pain, and some of the difficult things that she endures on a daily basis. And you would think that her response might would be that of maybe a response that you and I would have, which would be like, I can't wait to run to the loving arms of Jesus, or I can't wait to be free of this wheelchair and, and have a life of fullness and clarity and wisdom. Uh, and, and more than that, be free of these physical ailments. And that wasn't her response at all. What's interesting is she said this, it will be my joy to drop to my knees 
and paralyzed praise. A woman who has been bound to a wheelchair realizes the truth of Scripture in Philippians 2 that every knee would bow and every tongue would confess. And just as I struggled to understand that I should drop before a judge that could easily have pinned me, we need to realize that every single person will drop before, believer and unbeliever, before Jesus. And there will be many that will be pinned. And there will be many that he will say, depart from me for I did not know you. But there will be many on that day Not because of the base of what we did. We won't drop to our knees and paralyze praise and say, Lord, let me tell you what I've done for you. But what we will see is a check that says paid in full. Which means if that's true for you, we owe our whole lives to him. And I pray that would be a reminder. I pray it'd be a gentle admonishment. And I pray it would be an encouragement to you to live in a manner worthy of which we have been called. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for your grace and kindness. I thank you, Lord, for the ways you demonstrated that to me over the years. Um, I thank you, Lord, that I can pastor a church where I can bring up the pain of my past and even share some of the most humiliating things in my story. Lord, I share that not as a means to glorify me, but to glorify and to point others towards you. Lord, I pray that you could use the simple narrative that I shared earlier about myself to remind us of how indebted we are to you. Not to work our way to you, but to realize that it is only by your grace in which you would take your righteousness as a means of grace and deposit it into our empty accounts. Lord, we are nothing without you. Our lives are empty, we're sinful, we're we're wretched, and we're broken. But because of you, we can be restored to right relationship and fellowship with the God of the universe because you sent your son Jesus for us. So today we say thank you. And today we say, here I am, Lord, send me. And Lord, we just come before you. And Lord, in many ways, with bended hearts and bended knees, acknowledging that we are nothing without you. So God, would you use us and would you help us to be ambassadors for your service. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.